The following is part four of our continuing series on Little Mountain Sound. Enjoy. Hi, this is Tony Franklin of the firm Blue Murder and most recently of Rated X. It's great to be on Focus on Metal. Focus on Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to episode 243 of Focus on Metal. This also happens to be episode 4 of our ever-enlarging and massive Little Mountain Sound project that we have been doing for 2015. And we've been alternating between behind-the-scenes guys to in-front-of-the-scene guys, otherwise known as artists. And this week, it is another artist episode as we bring you the guy that you heard at the beginning of the show, the one and only, the incomparable, fretless monster, Tony Franklin. I am quite sure that you are definitely going to like this one. But before we dive into the show proper and get into it deep with Tony, just a few things I want to let you guys know. My friends in A Sound of Thunder have once again turned to Kickstarter to fund their next album. And they launched a brand new campaign on uh, Thursday the 16th. And I am happy to report that within 21 hours, their initial funding goal was reached. However, just because the goal was reached is no reason for you to not contribute to their Kickstarter campaign. I guarantee you a Sound of Thunder always spends wisely every single dollar they get on their campaign. And the things that they produce are amazing. The extra funding just gives them a little bit more leeway to make things even more extra amazing going extra distance they weren't even planning on doing and maybe throw in some extra stuff in the kitty so definitely head up to kickstarter and look up a sound of thunder and you should see a project called shadow man tales from the dead side that's the project you want to check out Great stuff they have on offer there as well. As always, killer stuff. So again, I urge you to support my friends in A Sound of Thunder, bringing some more great music from that band to our little metal ears. And, of course, while we're talking about great female vocalists, of course, that being Nina in A Sound of Thunder, another great female vocalist and a great guest here on Focus on Metal is the one, the only, Veronica Freeman. And her debut solo album It drops worldwide this Friday, July 24th. It's called Now or Never. It is great. I've heard the whole thing. Fantastic album. And we will have Veronica right here on Focus on Metal next week, giving the whole behind-the-scenes scoop on the making of that album and, and all that. So good stuff. Great interview I did with Veronica. You can hear that right here next week on Focus on Metal. But also... You know, when I talked to Veronica a few weeks back about things that were in the works, she did talk about a brand new website. I'm happy to announce that she did launch that brand new site. It is called veronicafreeman.com. Go up there, fantastically designed site, and you can get all of the news and everything going on with the world of Veronica. Also, some great merch there and some uh, rather interesting merch, to say the least. It's up there as well. So you can get a lot of merch for the V as well as Benedictum. And I would urge you to go up there and check that out. Once again, that is veronicafreeman.com. I've always said the V is irrepressible, and I think that the new website certainly shows that. 
So from things that relate to great female vocalists, let's talk about something that relates to also another crowdfunding project. And that, of course, is that Queensryche has been doing their new crowdfunding thing through Pledge Music for their brand new release. I, of course, tossed my metal dollars into the kitty and uh, I was rewarded with a sneak preview of one of the tracks off the album. The track is called Arrow of Time. And in a weird coincidence, the last Sound of Thunder album was called Time Zero. We are just weaving a web of metal here this week on Focus on Metal. I have to tell you that uh, Queensryche is definitely back on track. If anyone thought that that first self-titled one they did with Todd was a fluke or something unusual, I can tell you it's not. From the track I heard, like I said, the Reich is back. Freaking fantastic track. Michael Wilton was quoted in the past of saying the new album is like a modern take on classic QR. So if you like good old school Queens Reich, you're going to love the new Reich album coming out soon. All right, so on to our guest this week. That is the one and only Tony Franklin, a.k.a. the Fretless Monster. He's been in a ton of bands, done a lot of stuff. The guy is definitely a legend. And Richie did his uh, magic work, went out and landed this guy to come on the show and talk all about his experiences up at Little Mountain Sound. And, of course, in addition to that, he talks about some of the new stuff he's doing, gives us some great insight into Blue Murder. The guy was super open about all of that. Some really nice behind-the-scenes stories about Blue Murder and, of course, about his experiences working up at Little Mountain Sound with a lot of the guys that we've either talked to or talked about or are going to talk to. So, all-around good, well-rounded talk that we had with Tony Franklin, and we are more than pleased about bringing this to you this week. So to paraphrase Marty DeBerge from the film Spinal Tap, enough of my yakking. Here's Tony Franklin. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. Take one, roll. space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. Yeah. Explore the space. I like what I'm hearing. Go away. This last one 
was even better than the first. It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> Take it away, Richie. All right, folks. Well, I've got someone on the phone here that I've been wanting to talk to uh, for many, many years. And uh, that's Tony Franklin, of course, who's played with The Firm of Blue Murder and he's currently with Rated X. So how are we doing tonight, Tony? Doing wonderfully. Marvellous well. Marvellously well, thank you. And yourself? Oh, we're great. We're great. So um, I want to talk a little bit about Rated X up front. Um, were you looking on, on getting into a new band at this stage of your career? Honestly, um, no, but I remain open to, to things. I mean, I'm always looking to, to just maintain freshness and creativity and good music. And so, I mean, I've been very fortunate these, these past four years. I'm still actively touring with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I would have never thought that that would come along. I mean, you don't expect things to come along necessarily it's kind of like life isn't it you never know what's around the next corner who would have known about the firm and, and blue murder each one of those you just know that you want to keep doing good stuff and so this kind of came along and his uh his i i want to say pleasantly surprised us all because uh it's really it's been a joyful hard work but a great journey we're still at the beginning but we have uh a lot of a lot of good feelings about this and and musically and both personally and the chemistry between us it's really great so so how big a deal tony was it in your decision that carmine was in the band well carmine was actually um uh part of it beforehand and he called me in um because joe was uh looking to put something together and Frontiers Records out of uh, Europe and Italy was was part of that that uh, original impetus they all started talking and then John Carmine have worked together and it wasn't very long before the thinking Tony would be would be great for this so I mean I've done a lot of things with Carmine over the years uh after Blue Murder, we did the guitars used together, we did Pat Travers and a piece, and, we've, uh, and so we, we've done a lot of things, and um, it was, I jumped at the opportunity to do something with Carmine, and, and you know, a lot of those things have been more kind of studio things, we did a few live things with Pat Travers, but to have something that is a real creative core band is not something we, we've had since uh 
blue murder. So it was really just one of those things that just felt felt right, and uh, we played great together. I mean, we did from the very the very beginning. It's always been that way. It's just been an, an effortless joy. We we musically complement each other. We push each other get along great and so it's uh, it's the whole package with the two of us yeah now when we spoke to uh to joe he said that like you recorded and wrote the album and you didn't do any of it in the same room do, do you find that is, is that's just a different way to record that there's no better way to record like the old style was you'd all get in the room together face to face and throw ideas around where now you guys are all so busy it could be all in different parts of the world would do you prefer one way over the other <sighs> You know, there's, there, are, there are pros and cons and and strengths to both situations. And um, I actually enjoy recording in my own environment. Uh, the, the, the strengths of that are that I can really spend the time to, to dial in the sound and, and then just you have the luxury of of um of really honing in the parts and you got all the rest of the stuff happening around it so you can really come up with some some amazing stuff and uh so I like that aspect of it there is also uh, something to be said for the for the spontaneity of being in the room together but you know typically if, I mean I do tons of sessions and a lot of those I do from my from my own space and but it's different when it's a band now the advantage of this band um, is that of course Carmine as I mentioned and myself have done so many things together I know his play, I know his playing and uh, far better than probably any drummer I've worked with and uh, and same with with my playing with him and so he laid down we had some guide tracks to play to so it wasn't like uh, any of us were playing to just a click so there was nothing going on there was some there was some action and and some uh stuff going on but also the communication throughout the whole recording process for all of us even when joe was laying down vocals we were talking on the phone we were we were communicating through email and you know it's a lot easier to communicate these days uh even even across country so it's it wasn't like this was and Carmine and Joe have, have have been together as well. They they did three albums with Mother's Army. So maybe it was two with Carmine. But um point is that it's not like we're all just cold going into this, never worked together, didn't know each other. We anticipate I mean, Carmine said that when he was laying down um the drum tracks, he was um playing it with with me in mind uh thinking well oh that would be good tony would probably do this and uh and we have this ability as well both live and in the studio where we can we give each other this breathing space where he's if he's pushing then i kind of um lay back and support that and then vice versa we 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 get this I don't know, yin and yang, if you like, this, this ebb and flow that, uh, that happens. It's pretty special and, uh, kind of unique in, 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 in a rhythm section as far as, uh, I'm concerned. And I've, I've played with some amazing drummers and, and guitarists, of course, but he and I have, have, um, a pretty deep thing going. It's hard to describe and I'm trying to think how to describe it, but it, it's one of those things that sometimes, 
intangible and you just you just know it's it's cool and it's real and it's magic just because it is yeah now i would imagine too that being able to record at home especially with you know doing fretless work that probably gives you a lot of opportunity to to just kind of mess around and and see how you want to slide into a part of the microtones or all that as opposed to you know just being able to fret notes where that's you know more or less a hard and fast thing where you've got that unique voice and and having that that space to do it at home and try different things is probably lets you come up with a more emotive part that goes together with everything Absolutely, yeah, and you know, it's you have to still remain the remain and, and sort of maintain the objectivity because, as well as having that time, one of the one of the challenges with that, and I think that people run into, is uh, that they can overanalyze and lose some of the the spontaneity and the and the freshness. I try to capture, I, for instance, I will play over a section, I'll loop it, so that really, it's not like, okay, here's this section, that's done, move on, it's like I really get into it, so it's, it feels like it's, uh, we're actually playing together, and then in, in many aspects we are, it isn't just like, okay, I'm just going to complete this bit and move on, no, I really spend that time to make it very special, and the thing about the album it sounds live. I mean, it doesn't sound like we're in. It sounds like we're in the room together, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, there's a lot of energy and, and interaction. And yeah, I mean, it's those things happen live, uh, of course, a lot because you're constantly looking at each other. But um, you know, you have that luxury in the studio of being able to um, not just kind of ESP or guess what's, uh, what the drummer or the rest of the band are coming up with. You have that time to really hone it in. So, you know, there's a place for both, but I do enjoy working in that environment. Mm Tony, 
scheduling dates hopefully you'll have dates i know you've got definitely got one next year to support it it's going to be difficult with all you guys because you're all so busy um you probably have to, have to start scheduling them around now for for the middle of next year. Yeah, and that's what we're actually talking about that now. We have uh, some offers and some pretty promising things on the books, and so we are uh, we realize, hey, this there's a lot of good momentum, and people have been re reacting very positively to to the record and to the lineup, and it's like, wow, this is this is very cool, and uh, people like it because it's there's. Uh, it's fresh. It's uh, even though you know we've we've all been around, we're playing like we've still got something to prove. And I like to play that way every time I get up on stage. Every time I'm in the studio, I never like to to get comfortable. I always want to to push and explore. And so people, I think, are feeling that. So, but you know, if that's all well and good that people are digging that, but it's not going to mean a thing um, unless we get out there and play. And so people want to feel that this is more than, we want to feel like it's more than just a, a great record. We want to show that we're an exciting and viable live live band. And so we're going to have to carve out the time to, to make that happen. And it's funny, we've all, I was talking to Joe, to both Joe and Carmine today about that. And so we are, we are really seriously um, looking to, some dates together and, and show people what we can do. Yeah, no, I got one ask about, you know, obviously with Joe, he's got to do the songs that he did with, with you know, maybe Deep Purple or Rainbow and Carmine will probably do, do Do You Think I'm Sexy or something like that. Is there any tracks that you'd want to play that you, you with them, with these guys that you played on? Like from the maybe the firm, maybe some Blue Murder track? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that to me is part of the, uh, the appeal. I mean, we, we have such a great catalog between us to to choose from so uh yeah absolutely i mean aside from the fact that carmine and myself were in in blue murder together so i mean we have that uh catalog to choose from i'm sure we're gonna be doing some songs like riot and uh maybe even jelly roll and uh billy is always uh, a fun one to play and um and then from the firm wow i'm you know i'd, I'd like to do a a heavier version of uh, a radioactive, maybe satisfaction guaranteed, and uh, see what else comes out. There's such a, a lot of stuff to to choose from. So, uh, you know, it's, it's probably going to be a case of which tunes we we leave out because there's so much. <laughs> so yeah, much. you got to play some radio next stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like we're realistic about about this. We 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 know that people are going to want to hear. Um, uh, some of our catalog, and and why not? I mean, there's some some great tunes to to choose from, but we 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 want to just. I mean, the the nice thing about it as well is that there's so much experience with this band that we know how to put on a great show, and so you have that balance of uh, of the of the new stuff and the the catalog stuff, and just put on. A great show, be it we we do whatever we do, you know, it, it's nice because uh, we do have that stuff. People are going to have something that's familiar, but they're also going to have something that's fresh and new. And uh, hopefully, we'll get them get them turned on to to some of this new stuff because we're we're very happy with it. So hopefully, uh, fans will catch on to that as well. Yeah, well, I personally I think the album's great. Um, 
a lot of these so-called I hate the I hate the term Tony super groups when they get them all together. Um, the label gets all these guys together, and you don't know whether anything good is actually going to come of all of them. But I think yeah. uh, I think you're one. You're you've come come out with a really really solid record, and to me it's a rock record. It's not it's not that many ballads on it. You know, it's just a good hard classic sounding rock album. Yeah, thank you. We feel the same way. We're we're delighted with how it turned out. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. were. I was even telling Joe when we talked to him that I really like the fact that you know when Richie talks, like he said about this so-called supergroups and things. But you know what was nice about yours is you can really tell that it's a band album because all of your different personalities come through in, in all the songs, and and it isn't this forced. Oh, we're going to do this guy song, and then we're going to do this other guy song. But you can tell everybody contributed, and you just have your own individual stamps on every track, and that really sh makes it one more that live feeling sound like you were talking about but to it it really shows you guys are a band yeah well thank you and i i i do agree and that's one of the appealing things to me i mean both carmine and myself especially i mean Joe, everybody has such a, a strong personality and it would be selling ourselves short if we were if we didn't allow that to shine through and so you know it's not always uh, appropriate with different situations to to play and be yourself you have to i always say that you have to play what's appropriate for the gig and you know i say i'm doing a lot of stuff with with kenny wayne shepherd and uh you know, I, I, I've toured with Whitesnake. I mean, you, you have to do what the music requires of of of, this, of you in that situation. And so, the the nice thing about this is um, that we all went in and we we're just ourselves. And I think that that yes, it does. I mean, especially with Carmine and myself, we we have such a a unique and strong uh, personality as a rhythm section and individually. It's uh, it's one of the appealing things about this, and I think that makes it stand out. And we'll we'll continue live as well. I mean, it's uh, it's very exciting as far as that's concerned. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the future brings. Great. So of course, Tony. The other reason I have you on is um, we're doing this project on uh, Little Mountain Sound, uh, and um, I wanted to get musicians on to give their perspective on some of the people who work there, their experiences of working in the studio so of course you you worked with uh, Bob Rock and Mike yeah. Fraser on the Blue Murder album but I want to just go back a little bit before that um, can you tell me how you got the gig in Blue Murder yeah absolutely well um, funny enough I mean you probably know that uh, John Sykes was uh, fresh off the uh, the big White Snake album the 87 album and uh, he was no longer part of that band and uh, was eager to put his own thing together, which led to the formation, ultimately, of Blue Murder. And initially, uh, uh, Cozy Powell was the drummer in that band. Now, the story goes that, uh, well, John lived in Blackpool in England at the, uh, at the time, and he had a studio... And, uh, which was also, it was kind of co-run and run by his, uh, by his family. And, um, they had somebody doing a session in there one day and it turned out that it was my cousin's husband. 
Well, John was telling the, the my uh, cousin's husband about the new thing he was doing, and um, allegedly, he said to John said to uh, my cousin's husband, he said we're we're looking for a bass player and somebody like Tony Franklin, and um, he said, well, that's that's my cousin, that's my <laughs> cousin. Um, I'm happy to give you his number if uh, if you want. And uh, so I said, well, that would be great, yeah. And um, so Cozy actually called me, told me all about this. I yeah, I, I knew of John, but not not that much at that point. Um, and so it, I knew of Cozy, of course. And so he said, you want to come up and uh, say hello and have a jam and listen to the stuff? I said, yes, I would love to. And uh, so I went up and I, I met John first before before Cozy, and we just sat in his mom's kitchen in the house in Blackpool and just chatted and had a cup of tea and uh, and they played me some of the stuff and it was the original demos that had it was John singing and there was Riot, there was uh, Ptolemy and um, Out of Love I believe a couple of others that didn't make the. Uh, make the album it's cozy plan and um it's uh, wow this is this is kind of cool and it's uh, you know it was initially it was like this is uh i mean the film was was rock but it wasn't more on the heavy rock kind of thing it was you know the it was what it was and so i was like i i I wasn't initially sure. It's like I need to live with it, but I knew there was something. There was a great vibe going on, and John and myself got along great, and cutting same with Cozy and myself, and went out and had a few beers that night, and it's like everything felt really good. And so I laid down a uh, bass on there, and then we got to the point of uh, starting to rehearse and, and everything, and then at some point Cozy left, and... Uh, we tried to do a bunch of different drummers. Ainsley Dunbar came by, of course, played on the uh, that White Snake album, mm-hmm. and you know, some great players. And and anyway, it wasn't until Carmine came along that um, the, the instantly it it was like, wow, this is it, this is it, this is the groove, this is uh, it. Just it's it's like clicks right there, the chemistry and everything. And uh, and so that was it. And uh, we basically went into uh, went over to Vancouver to Little Mountain uh, pretty shortly after that. So uh, I think uh, Carmine came along in the December of '87, and by January we we're heading over to uh, to Vancouver. So it all happened pretty quickly.
remember John having a bit of a, not, not a chip on his shoulder maybe, because he'd recorded the 87 album with Whitesnake and it had blown up in the States and all the videos had all these other players on it. So he felt especially motivated himself to say, look, I wrote the Whitesnake songs. All these other guys are getting credit. So he was especially motivated himself to make sure that the Blue Murder record was great. Absolutely, he was motivated. He really wanted to prove himself. I mean, you know, the nice thing, I suppose, that helped cushion that is that uh, he was getting a ton of airplay, and so he was making nice royalties from that. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it probably helped the cause, and he was on a high, and uh, from just, uh, you know, that, I mean, the John Kolodner, who at Geffen at the time, who'd uh, produced the uh, the... The White Snake album was the doors are open for a deal with him with uh, with a Blue Murder. So you know it was it was great time for for John and uh, I mean I'm sure he didn't express too much bitterness or or anything to to me anyway about about White Snake at that point. I think he was just really driven to to want to make a, a great album and uh, that was really where the emphasis was, was just putting together these great songs and making a great album. Yeah, now, the search for a singer. I've read a lot over the years that John ended up doing it because you, tr you tried to find a singer. I believe it was Ray Gillen one of them? Ray Gillen was one of them, and probably out of all of them came the closest to being the singer with Blue Murder. But yes, it was... Uh, John ultimately just wanted to focus on playing guitar. He really didn't want to do it, but I think at the end, of the, at the inwardly, we all knew that it was going to end up being John. He just didn't want to do it. But, you know, all of the singers that came in, there were some great ones, and I don't specifically remember many of them, to be honest. There was a bunch that came in when I wasn't around, um, and uh, and so it's but Ray we hung together and it was all good but you know they would get some of the songs and just just kill them it was amazing but then other songs it just wasn't it wasn't quite right and it wasn't that it wasn't good it just wasn't quite right and then John would come in and Sean would say hey I'm looking for something like this and it would just be there. It would just be right with John singing and say, oh, we know it where it's, it's going to lead. It's just a case of John, you know, realizing it and and finally taking on the task himself. He really did not want to do it as the bottom line, but he had a great voice, has a great voice. He's strong and he knew the songs and had the right tone, the right emotion, the right phrasing, all the right stuff for all the songs. So... It was just kind of delaying the inevitable, really. Yeah, now, of course, you get signed by Geffen. You end up with Bob Rock and, and Mike Fraser doing the record. Like, who, who who else did you have on the list? Like, were you surprised, one, you went to Vancouver, and two, that you ended up recording with these guys up there? Like, were you familiar with them at all? No, to be perfectly honest. And, uh, you know, it was... I don't think there was much talk of anybody else doing it because they'd done the White Snake album there with Bob and with uh, Mike Frazier. And um, Bob had come in and uh, apparently 
had got the great guitar sound and of course the drum sound that was on the the White Snake album. And John never forgot that because he listened to that uh, that White Snake album, uh, the guitar sound on there, and then the guitar sound on Blue Murder, and it's really pretty much the same thing. They had the they had a formula going on the White Snake album, and they pretty much used the same thing on the on the Blue Murder album because it just worked and John was very comfortable about that. So I really don't think that anybody else was even uh, uh, being considered for it. It was it was Bob. It was going to be at Little Mountain simply because they'd had they worked together and got great results on that White Snake album. Mm. Now you obviously you must have got along with Mike really well. We talked to Mike. A couple weeks ago, Richie? Yeah, a couple of weeks and ago. And when he heard we were going to be talking to you, he was like, oh, awesome, let him know I said hi. And he was saying great things about you. So uh, it sounds like you guys were just a, a really well-oiled machine. Yeah, you know, it was uh, really just easy and very productive, and there was mutual respect. And, and the one thing I liked about their, their the way that they approached this and their whole attitude was that... Um, they really were pretty hands off. They knew when to 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 lead it or suggest things, but they they just I mean, for instance, when I was laying down my bass bass tracks, I really don't recall there being too much of them. I mean, I know what I'm doing on the bass, and it's uh, and that's not me speaking from the ego or anything. I knew I know how to play bass, and so they just let me do my thing. And they, uh, you know, the the nice thing was, and there was a perfect blend of what we were talking earlier about being in the studio, but uh, also being in your own space where you can really dial in and take your time with the parts. I mean, we went in and laid it all down as a band, all the tracks, and we got a vibe happening, and and it was pretty cool. But then Carmine went in and I think spent, I think it was two weeks, two whole weeks, just honing in the drums and coming up with the the great parts and everything, and um, and then I went in and laid down all the bass in, I think it was about four days. And so, you know, it's like we we had the vibe happening as a band, and we did some, some playing and rehearsing before that point. It wasn't like we went in cold and just rehearsed it up in the studio. No, we went into a, a separate room, and, and Bob was giving us feedback and, and input, but the songs are pretty pretty close. They they really were. Obviously, Bob had heard the demos and everything beforehand, and uh, I, the one thing I do remember was him um, saying, oh, we need like a strong chorus on Riot, and this is how he would work. It's like, it was already there. If you listen to the first line of, um, of Riot, and it is essentially... That what turned into the chorus. There's been a riot down on Main Street tonight. Well, that first line uh, becomes the chorus. There's been a riot. And that became the, the chorus. And so, you know, it's like he, he really honed in, but it was already there. All the goods were already there. He was great at that. And so, you know, we I went in and honed in all my, my bass parts, and but he just... 
I was full of ideas, and he gave little things uh, here and there, but just let me do my thing, and so it was a real pleasure. Yeah, I've often been, you know, you see things, like Bob had, uh, of course, he's had a long history with Metallica, and they've had videos out of him recording with Metallica and him challenging them, and he's, he's banging his head against the wall, and they're banging their head, head against the wall with him. So there's obviously, like, a lot of sides to the guy that, he he he! He'll put his arm around one guy if he needs it, and then he'll bollock another guy out if he needs it too, just to get the performance out. And it seems to me that you you guys knew what you were doing. He recognised that, and he just let you go with it. Whereas with another band, he might have done completely the opposite. Well, exactly, and that's the mark of a great producer. You know, you know, have to, you have to bring out the best in people, and uh, and there's no telling what that is that's going to do that. So you have to have to be, you know, you have to be a, anything from a, a psychiatrist to a babysitter to a, to a brother to whatever it takes to, to, to do that. And it's not like we, those guys were just in the studio for the first time in our lives. We were very secure in what we did. And, uh, you know, I was coming forth. He just would not settle. That's the thing. He wouldn't settle, which is good because I don't like to sell uh, he wanted to make sure that we had the best take out of all of us, and that because uh, you know this is before Pro Tools, so everything was down on analog. So it's not like we could, uh, you know, copy and paste or any of that stuff. Everything was real and a real performance. And so yeah, he didn't settle, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he didn't. It's just he, he brought out the best in us all. Yeah, no. We've talked to a couple of guys in, in Little Mountain, and one of the things they said towards the late eighties is, did all these bands could be in there at the same time? Do you remember any big bands being there when you were recording the Blue Murder record? No, I don't actually. I mean, we had the big room there, um, pretty much the whole time. Even when we were, they must have spent a fortune. We <laughs> 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 were auditioning. Uh, vocalist i mean um they were doing some of that up there it was still in the same room i mean the thing is we were tracking stuff and so the vocalists would come in and uh and and try out and but we just leave it in the big room so it's uh crazy really but uh no i think for whatever reason the time it worked out that it was uh, i know that motley crew were coming in shortly after us and uh i seem to remember was it Dr. Feelgood was the album that yeah. they were they were doing after that? And I seem to remember that uh, the groove of Dr. Feelgood having some similarities to, uh, I think it was Riot and everything and that bass line and all that. And uh, we thought, oh, yeah, they've been listening to our album. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But they did that with Bob. And so it was, um, I believe, yeah, I think that was with Bob. I, I seem to remember Bruce Fairburn being in there mixing some stuff in a different room. Other than that, we had the run of the the place uh, to ourselves. It was pretty cool. Wow, nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the album comes out doesn't do as well as I'm sure everybody expected. And yep. you know, you start doing the second record. I've, all, I've actually I've always wanted to ask someone in the band this because I remember buying the second record, Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, uh, and I opened it up and. It says additional musicians Tony Franklin and Carmine, and from what from what I've heard, you actually you and Carmine played on most of that record. So what happened there that, that you guys didn't end up going on in the band? Yeah, well, we did play. I think I played on 
seven of the 11 tracks. Come on, may have played all of them. So, um, you know, I mean, yes, the, the album didn't do as well as expected. And there's many, many reasons for that. But, um, and some of it is just, uh, timing or, or just bad luck or things aren't meant to be. But for whatever reason, it's, it didn't perform as as well as we'd all hoped. As well as we'd all hoped. So um, John especially took that pretty hard. Now in in '89 when we were touring supporting the album, I was gosh I was a partying fool. I was really going for it hard. And uh, by the end of '89, I'd had enough of that. You know, I, I literally woke up one day and said, you know, there's there's got to be more more to life than this. And my life started to change from that point on, and um, you know, I, I gradually stopped drinking and partying, and and just cleaned up. It's been I haven't had anything since then. Just kind of lost interest. So, you know, we were all in a in a different, just the vibe and the chemistry and everything changed. You know, the the personal relationships that were affecting things, there were our own kind of mind space and everything. And by, I mean, we worked on that and things were just kind of taking too long. It was just, uh, I mean, John was depressed. He really was. And understandably so. And, um, but, you know, I, it was just taking way too long. We, we worked on it all through 1990 and, uh, and through 91 and everything. And, um, you know, John had a studio in his place, so he, uh, that was falling into that trap of just, uh, you, know, you can take too long and overanalyze things, especially when it's in your own space. Uh, so, um, you know, this wasn't like we'd fallen out or had a big, big blowout. It was just like for me and Carmine, we just needed to, needed to, to move on and do something something different and it was John took it pretty hard but uh, it felt like it had stagnated the vibe had changed and um, you know the, the album just wasn't getting done and and so you know it was tough but uh, I think um, Carmine moved away first and then it's like we tried different drummers and it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. And so it's like I, I made the decision to uh to to move away from it and uh that was that was in ninety one. The album didn't get released I think until ninety four, so it shows how long it took to uh to, to get it completed and so it was sad, it was it was heartbreaking, but at that point I'd already been in it since late eighty seven. It was uh, it was a good four years of my life that I really given, and not only that. I mean, at that point, um, you know, the Nirvana had come along, the whole industry and the the music business and and uh, the musical styles had, had taken a drastic turn, and it all of a sudden felt like the music we were making was just not even viable anymore and so it was you know i had to do some real soul searching it was tough because john was and still is my friend he's my brother and so you know i made that that decision that for my own creativity and musical viability and growing because i felt like i was stagnant uh i needed to move away 
Yeah, now Tony, do you still get asked a lot about Blue Murder even today? Like, I'm sure people probably ask about, you know, going out with John and Carmine again and playing shows. I'm sure it's come up a lot over the years. All the time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, if there was a time to to do it, uh, I mean, these past few years, it seemed like the the environment, the musical environment and what's happening out there with bands getting back together, the time is is ripe for doing it, but I don't know why. But John just doesn't seem like he has that motivation to want to do it. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I mean, we've we've actually got together a couple of times and we jammed a little bit, and we've we've talked and we've hung. It's been a few years now since we've done that, but you know, right right from doing that, the vibe, the magic, everything that Blue Murder was was still there and it's like I, I'm not quite sure what it is if it's a confidence thing on John's part I mean it, it, I truly don't know but beyond that I mean these days it's not like it's not the 80s anymore if you if you want to go out there and and really show that you're viable and you're a real band you got to go out there and play some shows and maybe smaller shows just to show that you're real, that you're still, for one, that you're alive, <laughs> that you can still play, and that you, you can deliver. And until you do that, you know, it's like just putting out an album these days. Even if Blue Murder was to do that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't um, mean anything unless you played. And um, I don't know if it's a confidence thing with John having to sing again and all the work that that's involved. I truly don't know. He gets very enthusiastic about it, and then it kind of dies off. And, yeah, I mean, any time I post a, a picture of Blue Murder on my uh, on my Facebook or Twitter or anything, people get so excited. Carmine gets asked it all the time. When are you going to do a reunion? All this stuff, it it doesn't stop. I mean, the bottom line is, it, it was a great band. It was a great album. And actually, I saw a bootleg of us in Japan from 89. And that the band was just outstanding. It was scary good. I've not seen anything like it before or since. I think that, uh, honestly, Rated X become, is the closest I've seen to it. And so, um, you know, it, it's sad, but... Uh, it is what it is. You can't you can't force something if it's not going to be. Yeah. So there was no Blue Murder shows professionally recorded at all. No, unfortunately. Okay. And on the debut album, like, is there is there one track or maybe two, a couple of tracks that stand out to you that you're like, wow, I really really enjoyed writing those or performing them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all all of them have their have their magical moments. Riot. Always. I mean, we'd always open every show with that. That would always, when we got together and jammed a few years ago, that's one of the tunes we played.
going to say that 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 to me is a magic track yeah absolutely and uh yeah those are the ones to to me that always stood out and was out of love as well that was epic and we used to tear that up live it was just uh phenomenal the thing to me that i loved about the record is it had nine tracks but it had so many different styles on it it had your straight up rock tracks it had the ballad it had an acoustic track track 
It had just so many different styles on so few tracks. It was a, it was varied. It really was, yeah. It, yeah. it ran pretty deep, and as you say, it's only nine songs, which but a lot of those were long songs. I forget how long Valley of the Kings was. I think it was over six minutes. Yeah. So they all of them. They they were not short tracks. Ptolemy, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, I don't know, close to six minutes as well, and so. Uh, yeah, it was epic, and and within that, yes, you're right. There's a lot of depth and variety, and and everything. That's one of the things that I just loved about it. It was just, I mean, it's rare to find that. I mean, one of the bands that did that, of course, was Led Zeppelin, and it always had such a a variance of of styles, and but it was still very much the the band identity, and it was the personality of the players that carried that, and you have such same thing. I mean, it's, uh, we had such strong personalities musically in Blue Murder that you could put us play in pretty much anything and we would make it ours. And uh, wow, very, very special. Yeah. Just a final question for me, Tony. There's two tracks on the album that are credited to you, Carmine, and yes. John. And I think all the rest of them are credited solely to John. Um, did he bring in the whole track? And how did you end up writing the two tracks with just with the three of you? Did you all get in a room and just jam it? We contributed different sections to those two songs. You're talking about Blue Murder and yeah. Black Woman. Yeah. And so, the, I mean, he was, you got to remember that he'd been writing pretty much uh, since since and during the White Snake album and the, some of the songs he'd had since then. And so he came in with a pretty, and he, he likes to shall we say, he likes to control what is written and what was put put out there. And he's the vocalist, he's the lead guitarist. I get that. I mean, you know, I, I personally would have loved uh, to, to have been contributing more. And was always putting stuff forward. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, lot of little things here and there. And so I think throughout all the tracks, I mean... Um, you know, there's there's bits uh, I can say that, uh, oh, yeah, I brought forward that little thing. And then it's like, oh, playing-wise, and there's that fine line between what is uh, what is arrangement and what is songwriting. And it's always that gray area. And so I think probably on more of them, those two songs, we you know, they, we, we put the, the more ideas forward on that. The, the, the bit I can specifically remember on Black Hearted Woman is the solo section. Of that that was um, I, I put forward to that, and so but the songs are pretty pretty formulated by the time that uh, we came to them, and um, but you know we all we all added to them a little bit. So I think um, John, uh, I don't want to say as a token, but as a as a respect thing, he he put us um, on on those two for full share of songwriting. Mm. Yeah. So you know, kind of wrap it up, Tony. Would you say that? going up to Vancouver and recording at Little Mountain added to that album? Or in other words, that album made anywhere else would have sounded a lot differently. Do you think that going up there in that studio and the environment and, and kind of that family that's up there, did that add to that whole album? Yeah, I mean, it's it's everything becomes part of everything else, doesn't it? And it's like you, it's hard to separate and, and have a, a, a comparison of would it have been the same if we'd have recorded it with the same crew somewhere else. It's hard to know, but uh, all I can say was that there was a synergy, there was a magic, there was a flow that happened, and it's hard to separate 
that uh, environment and the people involved from that. It could have gone down in, um, in, in a different studio. Who knows? But uh, it, it did happen there, and it was magical. Right, right. Awesome. Well, it, it's been great to have you on. I, you know, it's uh, definitely a person I've been looking forward to talking to, obviously because part of it is that, you know, you're one of the few fretless players actually in rock. And, you know, back when I was playing bass, I was always big into Jocko and stuff. And it was really cool that later on having you come on the scene and seeing how you were playing that fretless in a rock context and really making it work and fit in and, and almost seem effortless and seamless. So... Um, for me, as a former bass player, it's it's been great to be able to finally get to talk to you and talk about some of this classic stuff that you've done. Oh well, thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, and I've uh, I love that the fretless uh, it has become my voice, and it's it does translate into into uh, rock very just so powerfully. And I love the subtleties and the expression and the the depth of the fretless and. Uh, you say about making it seem effortless. I always say that it uh, takes a lot of hard work to make something appear easy or effortless. Mm. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that kind of came along. I wasn't uh, planning it uh, per se. It was uh, it just kind of uh, evolved that way. When I heard Jaco Pastoris, I knew I had to have a fretless. He, as, as a lot of bass players will will testify that when he came along it opened up our eyes to the fretless bass and just how powerful and what it can do but i put that into a rock context i do what a lot of fretless players would consider a no-no which has been in the strings upwards which you can do on the fret it, mm. it can tear up the fingerboard and i dig in and play with a with the plectrum a pick and so it's uh uh, to me, at the end of the day, the, uh, the the bass has its role to play, which is uh, holding down the low end and, and maintaining that groove. And um, so it doesn't matter if it's a fretless bass, uh, a 12-string bass, which I'm not a fan of, but, uh, or a, you know, a, a, a fretted bass or a one-string bass. If it's not doing its job, if it sounds off or wrong, then, you know, it's not doing what the bass is supposed to do. I just love the fretless, and I'm I'm uh, very happy that uh, it's it's been my uh, my voice all these years, and I still I still get very excited just playing it and and picking it up. I mean, I was just doing that earlier today, and just playing just because I love it. Yeah. Now, when you did your first fretless, I mean, did you have to do like what Jocko of pulling the frets out and epoxying it over, or did you actually get yourself a, a fretless model at that point? I got myself a fretless model. Those were available, but um, you know, I went down with my parents. Uh, this is back in uh, the mid '70s or late '70s, and we saw that there was because I'm a I'm a P bass guy, right? And so I knew I wanted a precision bass. And I knew one was fretless, and so at that point, uh, all that was available were, was the unlined fretless. And I play Jaco. Um, there were no real electric fretless basses around in in a mass way at that point, so he had to do that. Mm. And so for me, uh, I I love the unlined fretless. If I get on a lined bass, it just messes me up completely. <laughs> Here's the dirty little secret. Those lines are just guides. Right. They're on 100% uh, uh, 
accurate or in tune. You get on a fretted bass, and just the nature of the 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 twelve the notes and the scales and everything, it's uh, it's not perfectly subdivided. But that's you know getting off into a whole different subject. So for me, having those frets removed just it just it gives me a lot of freedom expression and I just love it so you know I I don't even own a jazz bass I'm a peak bass guy yep. and so we went and got this bass and it happened to be the one and it was um you know it took a good two years or, or more before it was happening it wasn't like an instant thing I wasn't like born and uh, I could play the fretless bass right away even though I've been playing the fretted bass for five or so years at that point and got to a certain degree a level, it wasn't um, like an instant thing. It really took a, a lot of work and uh, it, it took it out with some bands and was getting dirty looks from the singer because it wasn't in tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm not there yet, but then it's suddenly it just clicked after a lot of a lot of just hard work and, and sticking at it and uh, so worth it. People get discouraged sometimes. Uh, well, it's a lot of work on the fret. That's what anything is. If you want to be good at it, you've got to put in the time. So, uh, And also, you know, I got a huge compliment because in, in rock, you think of it, uh, unlike certain styles like jazz or even, uh, even new age stuff where a fretless is often used, the tuning is not such an, such an issue. In rock, you've got to be so solid with your tuning because it's, you know, have a lot of big open chords on the guitar. If you're not in, it can sound ugly. Right. So you got to be holding it down and really be nailing the intonation. Right. So it's actually in some ways harder to play in rock music on the fretless than it is in other styles. Not that it isn't challenging in other styles. And yes, we've got to play in tune regardless. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. It really, there's no room for, for waiver in, in that regard. But... Anyway, I, I could talk for, for hours on the, my love and joy of the fretless bass, and mm. I still have a, a lot to say. And, and going back to Rated X and Blue Murder and The Firm, they've all given me that vehicle where I can just be myself and fully express myself on it, and that is quite uh, gratifying and um, musically satisfying. So uh, there we go, full mm. circle, right? Awesome. Yeah, and love to have you come back on at some point and we can just talk about nothing but bass. Richie will probably strangle no, me. I won't but... say anything to Tony. I don't play an instrument at all. <laughs> but uh but and I and I would agree that anybody that tries to play a fretless jazz bass is crazy because that neck is just too darn narrow to do it right. Yeah, absolutely. That's always been my my issue with it and plus uh well a few other things too. Just the the P bass uh just sits right, feels right, sounds right, and it rocks. And, of course, I have the, the best of both worlds with my signature bass. I have that uh, jazz bass uh, pickup right. in there, which I actually, you know, is because of seeing Jaco and he had the jazz bass, and if I'm going to get more sounds out of this thing and the harmonics and everything, right. I need that extra pickup in there. So he was the motivation behind that. And so uh, it's funny how things come along in our life just to... Uh, to give you signposts and, and direction and you, you pick them up and make of them what you will and uh, it's it, it, does, it never ceases to fascinate me or, or how life you know gives you those kind mm -hmm. of little signposts and they're, they're always there if we choose to to look at them and heed them but uh, here we go, it's another subject right <laughs> Yeah, so Tony, to, um, 
Do you have a website, Twitter, Facebook, all those things? Do you want to give out the addresses? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're um, actually my new website is uh, going to be up and running in just a couple of days, which will actually be fretlessmonster.com. You can also go to tonyfranklin.net. It'll direct ultimately to uh, fretlessmonster.com. But then there's uh, twitter.com, which is slash fretlessmonster. And I'm on uh, on Facebook, uh, Facebook as well. My fan page there, which is Tony Franklin, the Fretless Monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just look for the Fretless Monster, and I'll be I'll be lurking around. Awesome. Again, it's been great having you on. And uh, yeah, you want to come on anytime and talk bass, love to have you back on. But in the meantime, we wish you great luck with Rated X. We hope that, uh, you know, we get some tour dates around here so we can uh, check you guys out live and uh, just uh, have a good rock out night. Yeah, thank you, guys. I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks for having me on Focus on Metal. No problem, Tony. Thanks, Tony. thanks a million for coming on. All right, mate. All right, take care. We'll do. You too. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Out for the week there with the title track from the debut album from Blue Murder. That is, of course, the track Blue Murder with Tony Franklin on bass. And, of course, the reason we're here is you can hear the classic sonic signature from Little Mountain Sound Studios on that one. So I hope you enjoyed this talk this week with Tony Franklin as we uh, continue our Little Mountain Sound project. And, of course, the next episode on the Little Mountain Sound project will again swing over to behind-the-scenes guys could be a producer, could be an engineer. we got lots of great behind-the-scenes guests. So Episode 5 of our Little Mountain Sound Project will be coming at you very, very soon. However, next week, as I have said before, at long last, I get to run 
Another Veronica Freeman episode was going to run it two weeks ago, but then the album release date got shifted over to the 24th, so kind of got shut down there just with some of our licensing agreements. Couldn't run it when I originally wanted to, but I can do it now. So if you're listening to this on the week of its release, you still have a couple more days to go out and pre-order Veronica's solo debut on Frontiers called Now or Never. So stay tuned for that one next week. It's a great one. Had a blast doing it and looking forward to rolling it out to all of our Focus on Metal listeners. In the meantime, you can keep up with everything going on here at Focus on Metal at focusonmetal.net as well as focusonmetal.blogspot.com. Hook up with us on Twitter. Always posting up on Twitter and Richie is always doing stuff on Facebook. So got Twitter and Facebook covered and we always welcome emails. You can fire those off to uh, either shout at focusonmetal.net or to scott at focusonmetal.net or richie at focusonmetal.net so that is a wrap for a little mountain sound episode number four hope you guys enjoyed it so for myself for richie for everybody else here at focus on metal as usual have yourselves a hell of a good metal week and until we talk to you again next week remember focus on metal everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.